0: Amen. my lucky water jug I don't go anywhere without it before we get started why doesn't everybody get up and give a few hu- hugs it's great to be together this morning Amen, guys. Let's go ahead and go on back to our seats. Be seated, guys. Isn't it great that uh, you know to have church as a family, uh, where you can actually know the people you go to church with, and actually have an interest in each other, and, and uh, be in each other's lives? That's why it's so hard to to break you up, uh, to sit you back down. I mean, that's a good thing. Um, The title of the message today is Truly, and we are going to be talking today about why is Jesus' resurrection so significant. And uh, as we get ready to get started here, I really want to thank everybody for coming today. It's great to be here. I appreciate all the guys who who, who I, I know like me. There, you probably feel so tired right now. A bunch of us went on a deep sea fishing trip yesterday, and it was amazing. We had 26 people on the boat, so we got to have the boat to ourselves. So it was mostly uh, guys who are part of the church here, some of our friends, some of our family, and then a few guys who were good friends with in a few other places. And uh, man, we had a great time. Um, but we got off that boat last night, we were a bunch of zombies, and I noticed most of us were laughing when I think Gio was up here talking about how great it is to be able to work things out with your wife. I was taking a poll earlier, how many guys got in fights last night? You know, most of us got up at like 4 in the morning, we were on the boat 12 hours, we all left the boat with good intentions. I'm going to go home and I'm going to do, I left the boat, I'm like, I'm going to go home, I'm going to do the right thing. And then Andrew had to go to the store, and then I fed my kids, and then I'm like, I'm just going to sit on the couch for a minute. I don't know how long that minute was, but my son brought me the phone. He's like, "Dad," I'm like, "He's like, Mom's on the phone." I talked to her. I in my world, the conversation was done. I hung up. Well, when she came home, I realized the conversation wasn't done. I was just so tired. I, I don't even. I heard like "wah wah." I'm like, "Okay, that's great." Charlie Brown, love that show. But we had an amazing time. Uh, there was awards. Rodney Chavez caught the biggest fish. Uh, And I was also very happy that our own Gio Garcis won an award on the boat yesterday. One man on the boat threw up, and it was Gio Garcis. And being, being the concerned Christian best friend that I am, being right next to him. And you know, if you're on the boat, you're lined up, and you can see you guys all the way down. I, with one hand, I'm like, oh, gee, are you okay? On the other, I'm like, guys, guys, picture, come on, picture, come on. Nobody had a camera. But uh, we had a great time. Uh, everybody caught a lot of fish. It was a great time. Um, I know we're talking about doing more. If you didn't get to come, come on the next one. It, it, uh, it was a lot of fun. But uh, we're going to talk today about why is Jesus' resurrection so significant? And the first point I want to make is Jesus' resurrection changed history. Amen. You know, it's, it's always cool to kind of walk through history and see different historical figures and what they have to say about Jesus raising from the dead. The first person who I want to read a, a quote he had was Pontius Pilate. He was a Roman governor who, who, with authority, put Jesus to death. And afterwards, he wrote to the Roman emperor, Tiberius Caesar, and he told him this: and him, Herod, Archelaus, Philip, Annas, and Caiaphas, with all the people, delivered to me, making a great uproar against me that I should try Jesus. I therefore ordered him to be crucified, first having him scourged, and then having found against him no cause of evil accusations or deeds. He's proclaiming Jesus's innocence. Then he goes on to say at that at the time he was crucified, There was darkness over all the world, the sun being darkened at midday, and the stars appearing, but in them there appeared no luster, and the moon, as if turned into blood, failed in her light. So this is after Jesus, sometime after he had put Jesus to death, he's telling the emperor, hey, Jesus was innocent. I still had him crucified. And when he died, there were signs in the world that you just don't see. Dark as night in the middle of the day. Moon as if blood. Stars, but no luster. Mm. He knew, wow, something really happened here. Going a little further, I want to quote another Roman emperor, Julian the Apostate. He was the emperor from 361 to 363 AD. And he wholeheartedly opposed Christianity. So, early on, here's what he had to say about Christianity. Jesus has now been celebrated about 300 years, having done nothing in his lifetime worthy of fame, unless anyone thinks it's a, great, it's a very great work to heal the lame and blind people and exercise demons in the villages of Bethsaida and Bethany. So he's putting Jesus down like, oh, that was, come on, Jesus is no big deal. Sure he did this stuff, but no big deal. So that was his take. And as emperor, he opposed Christianity, but at the end of his life, oh, does the story change. Thou has conquered, O Galilean. At the end of his life, he's going, nah, Jesus is winning here, not me. And he even went on to affirm the authenticity of all four Gospels. And this is a man, as an emperor, who did what he could to end Christianity. Go a little further down into history, and I don't know why, but I always got a smile whenever I think about this guy. Good old Napoleon Bonaparte. Here's what Napoleon had to say about Jesus. And in in case you don't know who he is, he he was the emperor of the French and was determined to conquer as much of the world as he could. He says, You speak of Caesar, of Alexander the Great, of their conquests, and of the enthusiasm which they put in the hearts of their soldiers. But can you conceive of a dead man making conquests with an army faithful and entirely devoted to his memory. He says, my armies have forgotten me even while I'm alive. As the Carthaginians forgot Hannibal, such is our power. He says, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander the Great Caesar, Charlemagne, and I, Napoleon, have founded empires. But on what did we build our empire upon force? They forcefully built their empires. He says, Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions would die for him. He goes on to say, I search in vain history to find similar to Jesus Christ Or anything which can approach the gospel. Neither history, nor humanity, nor ages, nor nature offer me anything with with which I am able to compare it or explain it. Here everything is extraordinary. I love that. Here's this amazing guy who was a conqueror. And he admits, my armies have already forgotten me. But these people are ready to die for Jesus who founded on love. Napoleon's like, I found a mine on, on, on force. You don't obey me, I'm going to harm you or kill you. Right. You know, Jesus changed history when he rose from the dead. One more. I found this guy interesting, H.G. Wells. He was a British poet from 1866 to 1946. Here's what he had to say. When asked which person left the most permanent impression on history, he replied that judging a person's greatness... By historical standards, Jesus stands first. Now listen to what he says. He says, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Christ is the most unique person in history. No one can write a history of the human race without first and foremost placing the penniless preacher from Nazareth. I love this guy, just wants to make it clear. I don't believe in him. But there's nobody who compares in history to him. Wow. There's a testimony right there. When Jesus rose from the dead... He changed history forever. The next point I want to make, if you could turn your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1, is Jesus changed me. Thank you. 1 Peter I'm sorry, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. I'm reading out of the Message Bible. What a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. I love how, what this verse says and the way it says it thinking about how Jesus' resurrection changed my life. I love at the end there where Peter points out that because Jesus raised from the dead, I've been given a brand new life. And I have everything to live for. You know, as I worked on this lesson and thought about how Jesus' resurrection changed my life, you know, I, I reflected back on my life. I grew up going to church. I always thought church was good And I always thought God was good, but I never really applied it to my life. So as I got older and I got into high school, it just didn't really mean anything to me. It was just a place I went on Sunday because I didn't want my parents angry at me. You know, and then as I I went on to, the the summer before I went to college, I really felt this hunger. You know, I kind of, I, I, Partied a lot, and then I was just like, okay, that's not working. So I just kind of isolated myself for like a month, and I went to some amazing uh, Christian music concerts and really tried to make this emotional connection, but it just didn't hold. And then I was off to college. You know, once I got to college, I was like, okay, nothing's worked in my life, but I haven't really gone to the edge yet, so now I'll go to the edge. So first thing I did right when I got to college, I joined a fraternity. I'm like, this must be the way to happiness. And I I was one of the most committed partiers in that fraternity. But it still just did not fill the hole inside me. So then I was like, oh, now I live in California. Those surfer dudes, they look like they really are happy and fulfilled. So I decided that's what I'm going to do. Started surfing. Started surfing all over uh you know, California, Mexico, living in Mexico at times. And then I was like, well, maybe if you surf bigger waves. That didn't work. So then I was like, well, maybe, maybe drugs is what I'm looking for. So I really started getting into drugs, thinking, hey, this will work for me. And, uh, you know, I'm sure no surprise here, it didn't. It didn't work. It uh, just caused more trouble. So then I was like, then I was like, maybe I need to become more scholarly. So I got all serious about school, and I'd go in with my professors and talk with them for an hour, and really, like, maybe I need to be intellectual and just have these deep philosophical talks. And and uh, you know, I thought, you know, maybe the more educated I get, the more fulfilled I'll be. That wasn't working. I was running out of options. So one day I was like, I'll try to read this Bible by myself. I had a a, a King James version, which. For me, it was very difficult because I've never spoken um, Old English. So I, I went to a coffee shop, and I tried to read it, and I was like, ah, this isn't working. And, and literally, days later, I met somebody on, on campus who, uh, who was uh, part of a campus ministry, and he was like, hey, you want to do some Bible studies? And I was like, yeah. And i had and never, up to that point in my life, i had never actually read the Bible, and said, how does this apply to my life? And then applied it. I'd never done that. And when I did that, I actually found what I was looking for. I found what the scripture says. I found, because Jesus had raised from the dead, I found a brand new life. And I found that I had everything to live for. And then it all made sense to me. And then I kind of laughed at all the different avenues I'd searched, and how they were—they were none of them were meant to be the main ingredient in my life. They're all meant to be supporting roles. You know, uh, athletics are great, but but I realized that you know it needs to be a supporting role. Um, you know, being—you know—doing your studies or continuing to grow in what you know at your job—that's great, but it's not meant to be the center of your life. And your, it, your life, my life wasn't working when I tried that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I finally decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put Jesus as the center of my life and build around that. That's what changed me. Wow. The resurrection of Jesus changed me. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Wow. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. <clears throat> You know, the resurrection of Jesus changed history. I, mean, I, I could have brought, I, we could sit here for days looking at all kinds of different figures who we would recognize throughout history and their take on Jesus. You know, I, I'm up here preaching the message today telling you, hey, resurrection of Jesus genuinely changed my life. Um, the third thing the resurrection of Jesus did is it, it changed us. It changed us as a church. All of us who are here today as disciples collectively make up the church. Jesus' resurrection changed us. In Romans 12, verse 2, once again, I'm using the Message Bible. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Jesus raising from the dead has changed us inside out as Christians. It's changed our priorities. It's changed our values. It's changed what's important to us. As this, I love this scripture and, and the call that Jesus gave us was, don't, don't fit into your culture. You know, I, I hate to break the news to you, but most of you in this room are weirdos. Your neighbors look at you and they go, you're weird. You know, why were all those people at your house the other day? Oh, we're having a married Bible class. Yeah, come on. Oh, I gave a big smile. Yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> you know, now if I would have been like, dude, we're, we're married, but we we're seeing who could drink the most. My neighbor probably would have given me a high five. That's what I'm talking about. But I'm like, oh, no, we're getting in the Word of God. Oh, okay. We're weirdos. You know, at work, they're like, what would you do this weekend? You know, and, and we got the men's retreat coming up in a couple weeks. You go back to work on Monday. What would you do this weekend? And somebody's all rattling off. I went to this bar and this club, and I, I went and bought this new gizmo or gadget, and, you know, I went to this, that. What would you do? Oh, I went on a retreat, a, a men's retreat with my church. Oh, okay. It's great. It's great, I'll see you later. (laughs) Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus changed us from the inside out. You know, I I asked some different people in the church, I asked some married men, some married women, some singles, some campus, uh, people who became Christians as college students, people who became Christians as singles, people who became Christians once they were already married and had kids. I asked you, how did your life change When you became a disciple after you had seen that Jesus had raised from the dead for you. Here's what some of the people had to say. Uh, One one brother, uh, married man with kids, became a Christian as a married man with kids, said that how it changed him is he stopped having idols. He said, you know, his main idols were kind of sports and home improvement. (laughs) Makes sense for a middle-aged man in America today. But he said, I stopped putting those as my main priority, and I made God my main priority. And he said, I started giving my money first to God. Wow, that is weird. <laughs> I talked to a, a married sister with kids who became a Christian as a college student. She said that when she saw the resurrected Jesus and decided to make Him the Lord of her life, it changed her view of time, money. <laughs> and her mental and emotional well-being. She said she, it changed her view of time that her time was now for others. She said it changed her view of money that her money now belonged to God. She said it changed her view of the me, of mental and emotional well-being because in the past when she wasn't doing so well, she'd use the worldly fixes, you know, "Oh, I'll, I'll go, I'll go eat or I'll go drink or I'll go buy some clothes or this or that." Right. She said she, it changed her view and she realized, hey, now when I'm having a hard time, I need to turn to God first. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. And your neighbors would tell you, how strange. I talked to a sister in the church who's been a Christian a long time who's, who's a single. She said how it changed her priorities is her main priorities became reading her Bible, praying, and seeking God first, and staying pure in relationships until marriage. I talked to another sister married with kids who became a Christian a long time ago when she was young. And she said that how it changed her is to trust God and not herself. And she even shared a story that, you know, she saw, hey, Jesus and I need to follow him. And she had a job she'd been praying for for a long time. And she found out, hey, I got the job but I have to start tonight. And that was the night she was to be baptized. So right away it was, am I going to trust God or this job I've been trying to get? And she tried to explain to them, and I'm sure they heard, wah, 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 (laughs) wah. She tried to explain, I'm becoming a Christian and I'm getting baptized tonight. And they were like, well, then we can't offer you this position. So she let the job go and she went and got baptized and became a follower of Jesus. She changed her priorities talked to another young campus guy. I said, how did this change your priorities? He said, I gave up my dream of football to make Christ the center of my life. Why? Well, going back to the scripture, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed From the inside out. Jesus raising from the dead has changed us as a church. Mm. It's given us new priorities. Mm -hmm. New values. What's important to us now. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Jesus' resurrection is the power. It's the power source for everything. And in Acts 10, verse 35, it reads, It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as He says, the door is open. I love that verse. You know, the the next point I want to make is the resurrection of Jesus can change you. I love that verse. You know, I still... Remember when I was a kid on the playground wanting to get picked on the good kickball team. And Jimmy got to be the captain every day for the good team. Uh And to get on that team, every day I had to, after lunch, go buy my ice cream. And if I wanted to be on the good team that was going to win, I had to give him my ice cream. Every day. (laughs) And I was like, what's up? I'm a good soccer player. We're on the same team, but... On that playground, I was dead to him unless I gave up my ice cream. So it makes me so happy when Jesus is like, hey, I don't care who you are or where you're from. You might not be the most handsome person. You might not be the smartest. You might be the smartest and prettiest. It doesn't matter. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. And I, once again, uh, I asked some of the people in the church, where were you when you got that invitation of, hey, the door is open. If you're ready and you want to do what Jesus says. One, one person said, hey, my life was under control. Because, you know, there can be a stereotypical like, oh, you've got to be in the worst spot you've ever been in your whole life. One person said, hey, my life was under control. I was focused on my wife, my kids, um, sports, making money. And building worldly possessions. Sounds like somebody who was successful, but still wanted a life of significance. I talked to somebody else. They said, I was 100% into myself and having fun. But I knew I needed more. Somebody else said, I was looking for church. I was tired of the party lifestyle. Somebody else said, I had gone through a lot of empty relationships. I had no direction. And I had a good talk with somebody. And they they let me know, you know, God loves you so much that He'll give you over to your sinful nature. And He'll let you go be lost in it. And this person said, that talk scared me. Because I I didn't want to be lost in my sinful nature. And it woke me up that I needed God. Another person said, I was completely committed to impurity, money, drugs, and drinking. And they said, actually, on the day they came to church, they were about to take a step to a higher level of drugs, but went to church that day instead. You know, the power of the cross can change your life. You know, if you're visiting today and you're searching, start coming to church here on Sundays. Start hearing God's Word. Start finding the power. If you're serious, if you're here today visiting and you're like, hey, I'm serious about getting a real relationship with God and have my life changed by Jesus' resurrection, then get get involved in a a First Principles personal Bible study series. Maybe you're skeptical. I don't know. Like some of the guys we saw historically. I don't believe in him, but man, he's had an impact. Well, if you're skeptical, you know, Jesus in the Bible says, hey, you don't believe me, test me. You know, some people don't want you to test stuff because they're scared, you know. Sometimes people will be selling stuff and you're like, can I get a sample? No, you have to buy it. Can I get my money back? No. Hmm. <laughs> Something isn't adding up here. Jesus is like, hey, test me. Yeah. Test me, try me, see. Because the more you read that Bible, the more you're going to realize, wow, this is a real deal. If that's you, if you're skeptical, join us, get in a, in a personal first principles Bible study series. Maybe you're flying solo and you're like, hey, it's me and Jesus Cristo and we're cool. We're cruising. Get connected to our church. You don't make it flying solo. If you read the Bible, people didn't fly solo. They went and found others so they could help each other. Maybe you're sinking. Get open with somebody today. Maybe somebody who invited you to church or somebody who seemed nice when they gave you a hug earlier. And you go, oh, maybe I'll tell them. And maybe you're successful. You know, I know there's many successful people in here. But choose a life of significance. Because success is fleeting. Listen to what Napoleon said. Napoleon's like, I conquered an empire, then I lost my throne of power, and everybody forgot me. Success is fleeting. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Come on. Amen. awesome. Verse 33. It says, So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised. Jesus raised from the dead. He showed himself to his apostles and to some of his followers. And they gathered together and they said, Truly, Jesus has been raised, which is what we're saying here today. We're not here to celebrate a dead Jesus. Amen. We're here to celebrate a Jesus who raised from the dead. As, they say, as it says, who has truly, the title of our lesson, truly been raised. Amen. And that, that resurrection has changed history, has changed my life, has changed us as a church, Amen. and it can change you. Come on. I really encourage you. If you're a disciple here today, value what you have. Yeah. Amen. If you are visiting with us today and you feel something poking on your hearts, yeah. that's the Holy Spirit going, come on, buddy. We can take care of you. We have what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Truly, Jesus has been raised. Let's embrace it and live differently because of it. Amen. Amen.